Welcome to the Noid Culture Podcast, the place to go for the premium Noid content brought to you by the premium rendered horse content that is Bow Wow Wow, the dog food that belongs to you just as much as you belong to it. I'm Drew Boxicle, and I'm joined as ever by Lady Roxy, Countess of Edge. Hi everyone, here as always to supply you with everything Edge. Wow, she is sharp, like bladed elbows sharp. And we're also joined by Alan. Hi, I'm Alan. And Alan, you look chipper. I mean, as ever, you're always chipper, but have you got something on your mind? Ah, well, I, I've I've recently started to glow. Uh, you may have heard the people outside chanting my name. Uh, there is a little cult surrounding me now. It's uh, it's It's a lot of fun. Um, everywhere I go, uh, there are hands stroking stroking my body. Uh, it's it makes me feel great. It's uh, it's it's exactly it's exactly what what I needed at this point in time during during the darkness. Yeah, and um, so are they chanting Alan, just Alan, or Old Lady Alan? Because I know that's what your friends call you since you've taken on a head twice the size with the face of an old lady. It's it's a mixture of both. Uh, I am worshipped as both a, a deity and and a demigod. It's great. Well, it's great to see. I mean, you joined the podcast as uh, I mean, you'd had a previous podcast that we don't like to talk to talk about too much because uh, there are people um, dead and permanently incapacitated due to their mentioning of uh, scone treatment. Let's call it that. Um, I don't remember that. Jam and cream, but we will go no further than that. I, it doesn't matter which order I said it in. Um, but you were studying. You've you've passed your exams, um, and now uh, you know here you are, an intern on the show. Yes, but also a, a worship demigod. Yeah, I got six hundred and sixty-six points on every exam. It was great. Yeah, that really is incredible. I'm I'm just so pleased for you. So what's what's next for you? Uh, have they have the the cultists? Do they have a, a clear program for what your next destination is? Well, uh, they've they've recently all come together and bought a van for me to take me to the beach. So uh, next week, hopefully, I'll be telling you about my adventures on the beach. Wow, I mean, so bucket and spade kind of uh, affair, or bucket of blood. And daggers. That's what they're all bringing. I myself are wearing a nice straw hat. Great. I mean, I, I can. I, I look forward to seeing what sort of sandcastles they'll be making with uh, with those uh, materials. They're calling them sand temples. Isn't that funny? Oh, I really. This is this is heartwarming stuff. Roxy, you look mildly traumatized. Um, um and do you know what? Um, Alan deserves um, a lot of love. Uh, I'm not a big fan of crowds. That that's all. I um, think it's perfectly 
Great. But everyone loves Alan. I, I apologise. If if you're having trouble getting into the studio, I can wave my hands and part them. That could be useful. Yeah, we're, we're fine for now, probably. Um, if there's a sign-up process for the cult, um, you know, put put me down on the waiting list. Sounds, sounds a lot of fun. Um, good work, Alan. Thank you. And let's find out what's on today's show. On today's I'll be talking to historical whodunit writer Doris Middlebrow. And we'll also be reviewing Person Archive's CEO Brad Duxenberg's human skin suit. Throughout the long period of classical history, one group were feared above all others for their martial strength. The Spartans were a byword for military valour, and their unique tactical strategy, the Phalanx, was renowned above all for its effectiveness in bringing victory. Our researchers have got together to bring you the most detailed rundown on the top 10 most effective Spartan Phalanxes of all time. Number 1. The Cross Tarantulas The Cross Tarantulas resembles a number of different limbs going in different directions with pincery claws. It was used by General Thebo ex Menonides at the Battle of Mindas to bring victory to war. Number two, the Hakusak. A ball-like shape with slightly widened bottom area. This was used to crash through the Persian lines at the Battle of I want to say Zigstachin next. Number three, the hot balloon. The hot balloon was like the hacky sack, but the other way round. It was used to crash through the Persian lines at the Battle of. Number four, the bear. The bear was used across two centuries of history, resembling a big bear. It was really great. I think we need more notes. This doesn't seem to Number five, the ghost. The ghost resembled the hacky sack, but was a bit longer and had two big holes in it, like eyes. As if somebody had squiggled a ghost on a bit of paper. The ghost was used by General Top Hat Man, okay, at the Battle of... Make something up? Uh, not very much more details than that are recorded by history. Number seven. Daddy's Little Peanut. Daddy's Little Peanut, re- so-called because it resembled... I, I, can't, I can't read that. I can't... No, I'm not gonna... Anyway, that doesn't... It doesn't even look like one. Well, mine doesn't. It does... I'll, I'll get... Alright, I'll show you. I'll get it out. Number eight. The Giant of Barabara. The Giant of Barabara resembled a, a sort of big, tall man. If you squint and look at it sideways and you have to sort of turn it at an angle... And it was used effectively in some wars. Number nine. This one just sort of looks like a squiggle. They've not given it a name. Possibly it wasn't recorded to history. It was used at the Battle of... Make something up here, Drew, because we have gone to lunch. And number ten. The invisible phalanx. This was probably used for espionage... But no one will ever know. 
and those are the top 10 most effective phalanxes ever used by Spartan military might. Okay, I am in an exceptionally privileged position today because I uh, am getting to meet a, a literary hero. I have I have read literally dozens of her books, uh, maybe more. There are hundreds. Um, she is the queen of uh, the period whodunit, uh, the historical mystery novel. She is Doris Middlebrow. Doris Middlebrow, thanks for joining us. Well, it's very kind of you to ask me to come. Well, and it's very timely because you've just won yet another award. Is that right? I have. It's sitting now on my mantelpiece, right? And I'm very proud of it because it's one of the nicest looking ones that I have had um, since I started my writing career. Now, am I right in thinking it's a a picture of a Cornish trawlerman with a a sharpened scone? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a reason for that scone, isn't there? Um, Well, yes. So so is this is this the uh, the award for the most grisly and Cornish way of dispatching um, a character in historical fiction? Well, so they say. I mean, I must admit, I surprise myself because I don't usually go for the really grisly. But I think something took over me in the in the couple of weeks that it took me to write that novel. What's the name of this latest novel, the, the, the novel you won the award for? Well, it's all to do with biscuits, sir. I thought you'd read it. Oh, so, uh, yeah, of course, of course, this is As the Biscuit Crumbled. That's it. Right. Uh, uh, what what was it that inspired you in that two-week period? What was it, what was the kind of flash of inspiration that, that sent you towards far grislier scenes than, than we've known from your fiction? Well, it all started when I was sitting there having a biscuit, I have to say, and I thought, well, what can I write my latest novel about? Oh, and it was right there in front of me. It was a hobnob. Right now, now, then I was thinking, right, the obnobs, right? It's going to be the ordinary Cornish man against the hobnobs. You know what I mean by hobnobs, don't you, apart from the biscuits? Right, so the the kind of the the royalty, the nobility, that sort of thing. That's it. I've never had any truck with them, right? I'm a Republican to the core, and I thought I'm going to have a go at them, right? That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. And so... The setting of As the Biscuit Crumbled, it's the 18th century, is that right? Uh, just harbouring on the 19th, right? Because I quite, I quite like that period. I've read a lot of Georgette Heyer novels, right? She writes in what they call the Regency period, but really, I mean, the Regency don't start quite then, does it? I mean, it's not till George... Well, the coming George the Fourth takes over from... Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. No, obviously. Yeah, my history... Not, yeah, OK. Um, and so, as the Napoleonic War rages... That's uh, it. Throughout, ...rages throughout Europe, uh, a, a noble descends upon an innocent Cornish village determined to to make biscuits his way and his way alone. That That's it. And they're not having any of that... Right? Because they're used to their own way of doing things. Right? And not only do they make these biscuits, right, in the confines of their own home, a lot of them, 
but then they are up they will send them by sort of cart and carriage or what have you off to places like London or Bristol right but I tell you what they even send them abroad and in order to do that right they have to make sure that the that what they I've forgotten what they called already the people who look out to make sure you're not smuggling abroad right but of course not only do they have to make sure that right that person isn't uh, looking as they go out one dark um, night but they have to also make sure that those biscuits are in uh, strong metal containers because it's no good sending them abroad where they where they might get damp if they're only in paper bags right do you understand right, yeah. that right no 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 because biscuit waterproofing has been a theme throughout a lot of your novels so it was very central to to uh, uh crumbs for the king uh, yes set in the reign of harold goodwinson oh, oh, what? well i was gonna say to you right i tell you what i've had no, no truck with royalty right since that William the Conqueror came. I mean, I know I wasn't there, but I thought if only Harold had continued, I'd have been a royalist. Right, Because yeah. to me, he sounded, right, he sounded like a good man. Right, and okay, right, he wasn't a descendant of Alfred. Of course, Alfred was the cakes, wasn't he, rather than the biscuits. But I'm sure if I'd known him, Harold would have liked biscuits. Does that make any sense? I'm I'm not sure. I mean, sh- it makes it... A- it makes a lot of sense to me, yeah, and 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 of course that was a kind of counterfactual novel, wasn't it? Seeing Harold uh, surviving uh, due to his good stock of dry biscuits, um, helping his army after the Battle of Stamford Bridge. I thought I'd like to turn history on its head as well. I don't know whether you noticed, but I tried to make him win, but it just didn't succeed. The the, the editor wouldn't have it. He said, you can't have William not coming over here. You'll upset the French. He said, have you ever been over to France and see all the recommendations that William the Conqueror gets over there? Right, see, the French have always had it in for us. Yeah, because uh, the the enmity with the French really comes out in some of your Napoleonic uh, era um, writing. Yes. Uh, So the mystery of why the French are bastards is... Quite a quite a strong title. Um, I'm surprised you got it under the radar there, um, but I, but you managed it somehow. That was when the our um, publishers changed. See, the, the person in charge, right? He's not. Right, he's, right. This one's not so keen on the French, so he let he let it go through, and I have to say it sold quite well. Yeah, I and that... you've read. Right, I was going to say, and you you've read it, have you, sir? Um, I, uh, yeah, at the time, um, uh, some of the details elude me now, um, but but uh, I think that has to do with um, um, memory uh, wipe uh, issues. So, right, so how old are you? That's something I've never been able to process. Uh, again, the, the, the memory wiping uh, makes it very difficult to judge. I think somewhere between 25 and 50, but uh, again, it's very hard to pin down. Oh, right. Because I was only asking, because I'm 74, you see, right? You wouldn't think it you're, to look at me. But um, uh, I do get, I well, uh, I get these times when a word will just elude me, right? Like I was talking to someone about the people who have to look after the smuggler. No, 
people who look out for the smugglers. I could not think of the word. Oh, is it the tax man? Might be, mightn't it? The tax man does come up in my novels sometimes. I must admit, I've written so many of them, I sometimes forget what I have written. No, and this brings brings up a really interesting issue around... Um, so sometimes you will have characters say things like... Um, so this one is from uh, The Crown Falleth at His Feet. Um, uh, and Roger de Quincey is saying, Look out there, sire. Thou hast uh, not seen my riding... And then just open brackets, that thingy, you know, that thingy, uh, with, with the, with the, has it got stirrups? That thing, close brackets. Um, now, is that to do with the, the kind of writing process or is that to do with the change of publishers? I don't know how that got through, to be honest. I must admit, if I'm writing out my research, that sometimes happens. But I didn't realise that it had got into a book. I do apologise. I oh, think no, I'll... I just assumed it was... I, I, I thought it was just good writing. Oh, well we'll, well, we'll let it go at that then. Right. Who's listening to this, by the way? Uh, uh, again, that's something we find it very difficult to answer. OK, can you take bits out if it's necessary? Because it, we'll, we'll I... do our best, yeah. Because yeah, I don't we'll, think that's going to go down well, do you? Right, with yeah, my... I... And we're definitely going to edit out all of the swearing and, and the racist stuff you did earlier. So, so that, this, can, this can edit as well. Listen, when you talk to me about royalty, you know, I just see red. And that's what, unless it's Harold, of course. So I couldn't help myself. I, yeah, I, I do apologise if that's offended you. First look. The breaking news, guys. I've just, I've just found this on... Uh, uh, on a news page online, um, that that uh, uh, Brad Zuckerberg, uh, creator of the social networking site People Archive, has revealed his human skin suit. What do we think about this? Wow, that's incredible. He's always come across as realistically human-like, and we knew he had the money for the technology. But this is amazing that we finally got schematics to work out how the symbiotic creature inside this the the husk actually. Um, you know, has an operating protective atmosphere to keep it from uh, the poisonous uh, air of our Earth. And now we know what he looks like inside. He looks like just a human-sized head with just feet coming out the bottom. I mean, yeah, I feel like I've seen familiar. that before. I can't. It's yeah, it's a slightly unsettling. It. Odd, isn't it? It's like a ah. Oh. Is it on an yeah, like, for ravens oh. or something? Oh, maybe Hello. Something. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you, uh, inner child. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, my inner child just brought me a glass of lemonade. Aww, what a How sweetie. Nice. Yeah, I think it might have been like <coughs> raisins or something. Mm. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's something from when I was a kid. Yeah, that would... Yeah, there's some link there, isn't there? Something yeah. from when you were little. Um, I, can, I can... Yeah, I can... Oh. Almost, I, I can hear it in my mind. Yeah, like a kind of wet, kind of splattering, kind of approach of the truth. Um, yeah, it's got to be like if we can both remember it, it's got to be like an advert or something it's from a when thing. we were kids. It's a thing, isn't it? It's got it's like uh, yeah, me, me. Anyway, how, how's your lemonade there, Alan? I can't, I can't breathe. I can't, I can't breathe. Oh, Alan, got, you might. You've got you what? Might be sorry. <laughs> Just try and cough, cough a little bit, Alan. I think you've just, you just, you just choking a little bit. Poison. 
person archive. Person archive. That's the that's the social that's the social media we were talking about. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, everyone's on person archive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I am on person archive. Oh, great! What's what's your uh, handle? Alan's inner child. <laughs> I mean, Alan's inner child could uh, you could give the show a like on person archive. That that'd do us some favors. Yeah, we really need to up those numbers. I have already reviewed. Oh. Thought we were going to get an extra follower then. Um, Five stars. What a what a lovely young man. Um, raisins, I guess. Raisins. It just it seems like a. Packed... <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh god. Oh, uh, my, oh if, I, if only if it wasn't for my inner child stabbing me with that needle of adrenaline, I I might have died. Oh. Oh well, you didn't. So we, you can uh, t- tell us what you thought about the the skin suit. Uh, I I I think it's 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 wonderful that uh, uh, that that Brad D- Duckerberg is uh, is is finally able to come out of his shell. <laughs> yeah, great. So it's good news all around. Yeah, brilliant. And good news for the raisin industry. So let's get back. Let's take it right back. So your writing is incredibly popular now. Uh, Doris Middlebrow is uh, dominates the M sections of of any any book bookshop you walk into, from independents to big chains. There's Middlebrow everywhere. But what what was it that got the little Middlebrow started? So when when uh, little Doris was first thinking of putting pen to paper, what made you think? Yes, I can do that. I can be a novelist. Oh, do you know what? I tell you what it was. I was reading a book, right? It was crime, but it it was also a bit supernatural, although I normally avoid them. But I didn't this one time because it was a well-known author. I'd like to do a review. The reviews were all good, so I read it. Well, do you know, it was so exciting. Until the very last few pages. And I was on tenterhooks, right? And... The crime was just about to be solved when the main protagonist sat down to breakfast and the author told us in full detail exactly what he was eating, including the sausages. And I thought, I'm having none of this. That's crazy. That has ruined the story. The climax is gone. I can do better than that. And of course, that's what put put me on the biscuit bit as well, because I always have a biscuit before me breakfast, like a lot of people do. It's very English, I think. And and of any authors in in the canon, you seem to be the one that's really perceived the lack of biscuits in crime fiction, and has really have spent a career doing all you can to to reinsert the biscuit wherever it can fit. You can put biscuits wherever you like, can't you? Well, I mean, weevil. Frick, no, no, what they called, you know, the biscuits. Hard tack, right, on board. My goodness, they got so hard you could use them as a weapon. Yeah, but, well, because the, there's the famous hard tack cutlass scene from uh, uh, Captain of the Dark Atlantic, which, again, has t- turned a lot of stomachs over the years. It's, it's very powerful seeing a biscuit enter a gut 
from the opposite angle, like the, 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 the inverse of what you'd expect. Right. I did get carried away with that one, if I recall. Um, no, I did. it was a French, it was a French uh, sailor that was receiving punishment. So I, I guess I can understand why. And he oh, had right. just complimented royalty. I was just about to say, was it anything to do with royalty? French, French and the royals. So that's how you got started. Um, and then your your fame came, it was a slow burn. You kind of built up, you built up your following over many years. And I think one of the reasons people have really stuck with you is because of some of the really strong characters you, you've, you've developed. So um, uh, Lady Henrietta Winstanley. Uh, is is one one of those detective characters, um, uh, police inspector Nobly Bowchief. Um, oh, one of my some of yep. your... Oh, I was going to say he's one of my favourites. Now that was my going to be my question. What? what oh. who are your favourite characters to write, and what makes them so so exciting? So, what is it about Nobly Bowchief that makes you really identify with him? Well, well, it's me again, isn't it? I'm a rebel. A rebel to the core. I mean, he'll have nothing with the, you know, the, the, the higher ups, right? He likes to solve things his own way, right? He doesn't do it by the textbook, but he gets there in the end, right? So that's, that's why I like him so much. As for Lady Henrietta, I don't know. I think it's the romantic bits with her because I like a bit of romance where I can put it into a, uh, one of my books. Um... Of course, some of it always ends to the bad, you know, as one of them gets killed. Well, not usually the person who's, you know, who's doing the detecting, of course, unless I get fed up with them, which I sometimes do. Yeah, the the so uh, the monk um, Thomas of Barnstable. I don't think any of your readers saw what was coming. Um, what? How did you come up with that way of of bringing to an end? I mean, he'd had 25 novels as as a detective. And then, you know, how did you come up with that way of getting rid of him? Well, you have to finish somehow, don't you? Now, mm-hmm. I don't know whether you noticed, but it was quite complicated. Right? I put in a lot of red herrings in that book, right? And so I suppose people were thinking, well, uh, it's got to be this man or this, or this woman, perhaps. Never thinking that Thomas of Barnstable had suddenly changed right i don't know i don't i don't know whether it was a paranoia setting in right because i don't you know i don't go into this sort of psychological details all the time but some i decided something had changed in him right and he was the man who'd committed the crime all along so he deserved his end in the end didn't he but it did shock my well, readers so. yeah i think it did because he had the famously passive pacifist uh thomas of barnstable um, whose hobbies included kissing puppies, uh, healing lepers, um, gently caressing dying enemies. Uh, to see him suddenly, it was it was very hard to work out his motive in that book. Well, no, but I mean, he had to go in the end because, well, as you say, kissing lepers, it's not a good thing to do, is it? People would have locked him up in the end, even if he didn't go down with leprosy. So I thought, let's get rid of him. I've had enough of him. Right, so, so just you turned him into a, a psychopath who um, dug people's hearts out with hardened biscuits. Well, why not? Yes. Ain't the, looking back on that now, you've reminded me. Good story, good story. I like it, yeah. 
not my usual thing. But you've you've had you know outside of your writing, you've had an interesting personal life as well. Is uh, I think particularly people were interested in your marriage in the eighties to the industrialist Roger Cloak. Right. Yes. He made a lot of money, didn't he? Right. Now, was it as simple as that? So, um, because people did not see the connection between this kind of um, very humbly living lady from the West Country uh, with uh, her little hat and, and this kind of high-powered executive uh, working in the city of London, jetting off to the Bahamas. It, di- it didn't seem a natural match. No, but you said that my novels were on slow burn, right? I'd given up my job. I had to do something. Right. So you say there's this little lady with a hat. Right. Well, I became someone who wasn't that little lady with that. Well, of course, I couldn't grow. Right. But you can somehow grow in stature, can't you? Right. And with high heels as well, because you were famous during that period for wearing 10 inch platforms. Right. Yes, that's right. And if I wasn't wearing platforms, I was wearing uh, like silvery stilettos, I seem to recall. I've still got a pair in my wardrobe, you know. And not only that, right, it it embarked me on a couple of novels, right, where shoes were the actual um, uh, thing that committed the crime, right? They were the weapon, right? Because it's amazing what you can do with a stiletto or two. And those platforms, they were so heavy. I had to give up wearing them in the end because I'm only five foot tall and they weren't doing my back any good. And, and that's what that's what my husband used to say as well when I trod on his back with wearing my platforms or wearing my stilettos. You're not doing my back any good, he'd say. But he loved it, really. Yeah, and now he did die tragically early um, from medical complications of a back condition. I did my best. I did my best. We paid out a lot of money for his um, medication and so on. To, to a private clinic in Switzerland, wasn't it? Well, there are lots of private cl- clinics all over the world, aren't there? No, no, no. It, it, I, th- I think it was very philanthropic of you before you inherited his um, million-pound industrial empire. Right. And you may have noticed as well, I did sell his business because I knew I hadn't got the brains to carry on. I it, the, Well, the money has given me... Um, wherewithal to actually employ people who can actually help me with the research on these books you know I don't know whether you know that I don't mind admitting it because I do the writing well yeah this is fascinating there's a sort of university of middlebrow almost of this kind of family of researchers gathered around you looking into different periods of history well I never had children you see otherwise I'd have got them to do it well that's what you have children for isn't it to get them to do things for you so, well, I've got a cook, so I don't have to do the cooking, I'm glad to say. And yes, I can pay these researchers to go all over, all over here, all over France, sometimes get close to royalty. Yeah, now, some of them have gone rogue, haven't they? Um, so when you mentioned getting close to royalty, there was an assassination attempt, wasn't there, that was, that was only foiled by um, the intervention of a, a famous blog writer. I I've never heard of that. Have yeah, I? Yeah. So one of one of your one of your uh, researchers, um, Peter Stoneborough. Oh, not Peter Stone. Right, nasty little chap. Mm, mm, mm. Well, with a name like Stoneborough, what do you think? Right, and, and you 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 employed him just for a, a short period of of six, seven, eight years. 
did, did you realise that he was that he was a bad penny right from the start? Well, he became a bit like Thomas a Barnstable. I had to go in the end, but I didn't murder right. him. I didn't murder him. No, no, because he was he was uh, killed by uh, blog writer uh, Liliette Bluebelt uh, after his attempt to kill the Queen, or, or well, I suppose during his attempt to kill the Queen, um, dispatched by a, a sharpened tea tray. It, I think it was a surprise to his family that he would suddenly try and uh, kill the Queen. Um, was it something you saw coming during your your near decade of working with him? Might have been something in the biscuit. I always say. The Top Ten. So we all know and love him, but it's very rare for him to get um, a shout out on this podcast, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. But here are my top ten Jesus would have loved this moments. Number one, those weird raisin adverts he used to get as kids. Number two, my first Jim Peacock fan fiction. I'll tell him if it's right. Number three, my second Jim Peacock fan fiction. Number four, the inception of Clive. Number five. Casablanca 2020. Number six. That really creepy scene in the Transformacons that most of us don't talk about, but our Lord and Saviour is creepy and depraved. Number six. When Liliette got punched in the face at that blogging convention. Number seven. All those times I went to church. Number eight. That one day that my blog got more views than Clive's. It did happen. It was one day. I've got the photos. I've got the screenshots. Number nine. When all of the world held hands and sang in perfect harmony. It was a bit weird because we're all in different time zones and the harmonies didn't quite match up and everything went a little bit out of time. Um, none of the harmonies quite worked. We all had weird accents and stuff. But Jesus still really liked it because we really, really tried. Um, and number ten. Um, the second inception of Clive. And that is the top ten. Jesus would have loved this moment. So, back to your writing again. Um, you've got a lot of fans, and I think a lot of them, maybe like you back in the day, are, are reading a lot of crime fiction and sometimes thinking, this is too much detail about a man's breakfast. I want to become a writer so that I can write about less detailed breakfasts. What words of advice would you give to any potential mystery writers out there to to kind of get started, to get inspiration? To get inspiration? Oh, it comes from all over the place. I mean, you've noticed that as I've been talking to you. But I mean, you've got to make sure you've got a good character for your detective, right? Um, Let me think. Oh, um... A plot with twists in it. I think a lot of people like the twists in a plot. Um, you've got to make sure you set it in a in a period that you understand or you can get your researchers to work on. Um, right, make sure you've got your weapon um, worked out because there are so many of them, aren't there? I mean, I've, I've done a few poisons stabbing i mean there's lots of different kinds of knives um i rarely use um a gun because i think that's just a little bit boring right um 
and well Cluedo gives you the clue doesn't it candlestick lead piping um oh I've forgotten the rest I'm 74 years old I can't help myself uh now so uh, as we get towards the end of the interview uh, you've obviously got something to plug um you've got your latest book coming out um now what's the name of this one it's called all of the biscuits all of the biscuits incredible it, it, it's almost like there is a theme there um and what's what's uh, period is this one set in well it's one of my favorite periods right it's right oh my goodness do you ever find the the reign of queen victoria gets a bit boring it's always on the television at the moment isn't it so i'm setting it just before that right in the reign of william the fourth right before we get this long reign in nincompoop and well he was a bit of an nincompoop himself wasn't he but yes i'm setting it at that period right and because he was a sailor sailor i'm setting it in gosport right and portsmouth oh i meant you know i meant to say portsmouth i am a fool i'm setting it in portsmouth right where all the sailors were at one time and where there were dark alleys right where anything could happen couldn't and there are whorehouses right and oh there's so much you can bring in and there's going to be a biscuit shop you know the 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 story of sweeney todd right a bit like a bit like that so selling pies as well as biscuits no 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 put nasty stuff in the biscuits right and well right so someone welcomes someone to come into the biscuit emporium I don't know whether that's the name, where there's coffee being served as well as biscuits, right? But I mean, there are people that who need to be, who need to be disposed of, right? So it's the job of the person who owns this shop, right? I'm trying to think of what her name was. Um, no, it's Maria, Maria, Maria Fitzherbert, um, Fitzherbert, um, 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 hobnob. Right, and and it's her job, right, to bring these men into this emporium, right, where then they're disposed of, and they go down the chute just like in the Sweeney Todd stories, and and then they're sent off to sea because they're sailors, all of them, right? Not nice, some of them, smuggling. That's the essence of the story, but there's a lot more to it. All right, so before we let you go, let's um, we you've got your latest book coming out would you do us a massive favor and and read us a little prepared section from it i well i don't think i've got that book with me otherwise i'd read it to you um I, well I, I remember it was a dark stormy night in dark alley in portsmouth and right, so that so this is from the outset from this is the the opening of the book is it yes that's right yeah i, oh, I okay so t- t- take it away I just done it. That what it oh, was. Oh right, a, that was the that was the. It was a dark, stormy night. What did I say then? In a dark alley in Portsmouth. And, wait, Lydia was flinging her thingy as she leant against the archway of the biscuit house. Along came the sailor that had been sent to her, right, by the vigilantes of the town. 
she walked up to him and says, How you doing, young man? Would you like to come and have some biscuits? Powerful and stuff. And takes him through the arm. Powerful stuff. Oh, that, oh I'm glad. That's, right. um, that's really very moving. Yeah, I could... That, and that is, it's that punchy writing that really gets your, your readers absolutely hooked. So, Doris Middlebrow, um, I think we can all hear from that why you have sold books in the millions. May you sell many more and be writing well into your 104th year, um, if your fingers can cope with it or, or digitally record it. So, thank you so much for speaking to us. Well, that's very kind of you, sir. <laughs> So that's our show, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, to all my court followers outside, thank you for following me. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a fun time at the beach uh, next week. Um, so I hope you've all had fun listening at home. Remember to uh, to give us a like and, and subscribe and give us a, a four out of five star review at least. And, uh, and I, hope you, I hope you all have a wonderful, special, glowing time. Like I am, right now. I'm the happiest I've ever been. And I've been Alan. I've been Lady Roxy. And I've been Drew Boxical. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. The Void Culture Podcast is presented by Lady Roxy, Countess of Etch, Alan, and Drew Boxical. Key research was by Nikki Hindmarch, Tom McGrath, and Spleeny Dotson. Doris Middlebrow's hat was knitted by Doc Bedner. Original music was by Tedious Fanboy. Additional research was from Ashlyn Kerrin, Tom West, Chris Duffy, and Emily Howes Long. The Noid Culture Podcast is owned, mind, body, and soul by Bow Wow Wow Incorporated. It was produced by the Mechanical Pig. Pig. Pig.